It's time for episode 480 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the Holly Jolly Tech Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal and my Holly Jolly buddy. It's Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? Have the Holly Jolly Podcast. <laughs> it's the I'm out of words now. <laughs> that's, that's all I had. That was good. That was good. I'm, oh, I'm good. proud of all you. Right. Well, yeah. in our inevitable musical uh, episode, which we threaten every 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 few weeks. I'm glad to know I'll be ready to hold up my end. <laughs> uh, and holding up their end of the table. <laughs> joining, <laughs> we should joining. get this table fixed, Mike. I know. Really, it's not, I don't know why we don't have legs sound. for this thing. It's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, is a technology podcaster, an engineer, and a writer. It's Allison Podfeet Sheridan. Welcome back to the show, Allison. <laughs> Well, my arms are getting tired, but I'm from holding up the table, but I'm still feeling holly and jelly here. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and to my left this week, it is my co-host from many fine podcasts, including The Rebound and Biff and a maker and knitter of fine t-shirts everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's John Maltz. Welcome back, John. This is a heck of a way to run a podcast. I'm a little concerned I may be, end up being the Grinch on this episode, but we'll have to see. Oh, ah, I like it. I like it. We'll do it. <laughs> His heart will grow three sizes today. <laughs> uh, I threaten. Anyway, let us get into the show. Uh, my question for you, chat GPT. Uh, that's the question. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm curious if you've tried OpenAI's chat GPT. If you have, tell us about one way you've used it. And if you haven't, well, dream up one way you could use it. Allison, we'll start with you. Well, I wasn't going to try it, but then you did this and I say, OK, I got to give it a try. So I, I recently saw a video on uh, by NASA on Mastodon showing the transit of the moon Deimos in front of its, uh, its sun as taken by our I'm sorry, our sun as taken by the Perseverance rover. Thought that was really cool. So I asked ChatGPT, tell me about the rotation of the Mars moons. And, and amongst other things, it told me that both Deimos and Phobos are orbit in the opposite direction of Mars's rotation. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I want to learn more. So I fact checked it and looked at Scientific American where it said both moons orbit in the same direction that Mars rotates with Phobos <laughs> orbiting Mars. In, it, it, there's a reason. Phobos orbits Mars in less than a Martian day, which means it's orbiting faster than the planet rotates and thus it rises in the west and sets in the east. So it just looks like that. But uh, chat GPT was wrong and misled Interesting. me. Yeah. Well, I haven't really used it, although I've been subjected to John and my co-host, <laughs> yeah, Lex Friedman, yeah. who is addicted to these things and will just send us clip after clip after clip of these things. Um, I, you know what, Allison, you gave me an idea there, which is I really think this would be great for sort of like those uh, those canaries that you put up to like test and see if people I think this is for like comprehension tests, basically, in like, you know, college or whatever. It's like, see if people are actually paying attention or, you know, you can teach media literacy or, or writing literacy by having these stuff generated and see if people just sort of accept uh, the, what's written or whether they actually, like you, diligently fact check this stuff. I think maybe there's like a cautionary tale in there, perhaps, mm. <laughs> about how to use this to sort of improve people's ability to, um, you know, maybe not trust everything they read. And that's sort of the most charitable <laughs> uh, idea I have, because maybe as a writer, uh, 
yeah as a writer i don't feel like i will be using this anytime soon there's very <laughs> few things where i feel like i couldn't just do it better myself um and so uh yeah i don't, I don't need it stealing my work for me <laughs> granted we'll talk more later in the show about places where ai is potentially stealing work john well, yeah, unlike Dan, I just come up with ideas for books and short stories and don't actually write them. <laughs> so I had an idea. I have not used this yet. And again, just just read the stuff that Lexa sent us. The thing that I thought of, I had thought of like a few years ago, like a short story idea came to me. Uh, uh, an astronaut wakes up in a ship and he has hit his head. He has amnesia. Um, and he, the only person there that he can talk to is the computer and the computer uh, is uh, is a sentient AI, but uh, has has had its memory wiped as well. And so Ooh. the two of them have a discussion about what it is to be sentient and alive based on their very limited knowledge of what the heck is going on. <laughs> so I would have it write that <laughs> since I am apparently not going to write it myself. I think that's delightful. Um, I will say I have played with this quite a bit. Um, the, the sort of cautionary tale, I have a, uh, you know, a hearth over the fireplace or hearth over the fireplace. And I had four stockings that I wanted to hang. And I wanted six inches of space on the left and right side, and then each of the stockings placed at equal intervals. And I was remembering <laughs> back to my high school algebra days uh, and was thinking, OK, I know there's a way I can do this. I just need to figure out the the sort of proper equation to make it happen. Uh, and I thought, I, in the meantime, while I'm trying to remember that, am going to type that into uh, OpenAI and see, or ChatGPT, and see if it could do that. And I did, and I uh, worked it all out on a note card first, and it was uh, not right at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was telling me to like add uh, numbers to either side of the hearth as if there was more to it than there actually was. <laughs> I'm going, no, that's not what I want. Um, but what I did do that was kind of fun was I have in the past, um, over the weekend, I was uh, using it as just kind of joking around. And so I had it, you know, pretend that you were a, a competitor in Miss Universe and then answer the following question, should napkins be banned? And that had some really fun responses. I've had it write some uh, rhyming uh, poetry, which was pretty funny. And I was trying to get it to answer the question that I actually asked. Uh, but unfortunately, it is overloaded right now. So while I've been talking, trying to wait for it to load it hasn't loaded and we do need to move on to the next topic so thank you all eat it ai <laughs> you lose ai um let us move on to our next topic which comes from allison all right i would like to know what maybe silly or most time-consuming automation you've ever created that actually had very little value and you knew that it had no little va no value, but you just thought it'd be fun to be able to try to do. Anybody got something like that? Dan? Oh man. Um, I have, I'm looking through my shortcuts list now, which is insanely <laughs> long. And a lot of things where I just throw things together thinking, oh, this will be interesting. And then I never, ever use it. 
Um, I think most of the ones that I've tried that like are super useful end up being like really basic and really short. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. for example, I have a shortcut that converts images to JPEGs because you sometimes drag stuff over from your iPhone and it's in the HEIC format and you're like, I can't post it anywhere. So I just have like a, it's like a one line automation. And then on the flip side, I like definitely have tried several times to write uh, shortcuts um, that, for example, send emails out for this show because I often have to send the same email uh, and that's never really gone anywhere. I think my favorite uh, long ones, oh, I, I, shortcuts let you sort by actions now. This is pretty great. Um, I have one that is for saving a receipt to Dropbox. Which sounds useful, you would think. It's like 24 actions in <laughs> shortcuts. But it doesn't work quite right because like shortcuts can't do everything I need it to. And so I just end up doing it manually still. <laughs> so I guess that's the worst of all worlds, which is the silliest or most time-consuming, spending all this time to create a shortcut that doesn't actually replace the thing because I, I just end up doing it anyway. So <laughs> that's sad when you think about it. And now I have to go back and see if I can make it work. I should invest more time, right? That's oh, yeah, going cost some here mm-hmm. no it's <laughs> not how it works i don't no, have it's... a great answer for this the uh, uh dan's heard this story before but i'm gonna have to tell it again i uh a friend gave me a little led panel um and i had an old uh, lid for a power book like the last aluminum power book and um i thought it'd be cool to put the led panel behind the you know because it's the apple logo is clear and you can do all kinds of cool light effects with the led panel and I, I did that. I set it up. I attached it and I even made a little stand so it stands up and it's sitting up in my office and I had it plugged in. And I thought, well, rather than going, you know, every time I go to my office, I'll go to to work and turning it on manually. I'll, uh, I'll I have a smart plug and I'll plug it into the smart plug and then I can set up a thing in the home app to have it turn on at like eight o'clock in the morning and then turn off at midnight or something like that. And just as I had finished setting it up and actually plugged it in, I realized that the web page that controls the lighting effects for the LED has oh, a timer built into no. it. So <laughs> I spent, and I hadn't spent a lot of time doing it because, you know, the rest of that is just fairly easy. But I was just like, I felt dumb because it was like, <laughs> I probably should have looked there in the first place. Oh, man. Uh, okay, so mine, the... Uh, very incredible. Uh, Jason Snell helped me out with a shortcut uh, that I use for naming clockwise files. And it goes to the RSS feed. It finds the most recent episode of clockwise, and then it adds a adds one to it so that it is, you know, the, the next episode, the unpublished episode, uh, which is what I need. So I I use that shortcut um, whenever specifically it's my week to collect files and rename them. But what I wanted was to be able to use the tool that I like to use, which is Text Expander, uh, to do something similar where it would grab the next episode, basically, um, using information that it could get that was available. And the reason for that is because I have lots of different um, steps along the way where I need that that number. I have some snippets that automatically put the the link to the upcoming file and all sorts of things where all I need is to have the number of the episode that's going to be published. And so uh, I think on and off over the last month, I have been <laughs> trying to learn how to 
go grab the most recent item form from an RSS feed and then uh, use regular expressions to sort the number out and then add plus one to the number to get the number that I needed. I've been able to do it in Python, but unfortunately, uh, Text Expander needs either JavaScript or AppleScript uh, or a shell script. And it's been an ongoing struggle. And I've even tried using chat GPT to help me out with that. And it <laughs> has not helped me out with that. So yeah, um, in terms of time consuming, it continues to consume my time. And in terms of value, literally all it does <laughs> is get a number and I already have a thing that can do that. So I don't really need any of this, but I want it. Allison, round us out here. Okay, Micah, this answer could not have made me happier because your friend and mine, Rosemary Orchard, wrote me the same shortcut that adds <laughs> one to my to my episode number. Oh. Because I don't know why I can't just add one, right? I mean, I can look <laughs> yeah, at I it could. and I can add one, but I get it wrong all the time. So yes. she wrote me. So I say next no silicast or next chit chat across the pond and it adds one and tells me the number. So maybe she can do the rest of it for you because she did it for me. She probably could. And I just, I don't want, I don't want to ask her because I ask her for a lot of help. <laughs> I just have a, I just have a folder and it has all the most recent episodes in it. And I was like, oh, which one's the last one? And then I add one to it. <laughs> Am I the jerk? <laughs> we can't do that. But my silliest and most time consuming one, I just love this because a, a, a reader of my blog posts uh, follows me on Twitter and his Twitter client is in dark mode. And I started using, um, uh, PNGs from the noun project that were transparent PNGs as my uh, my featured image on a couple of them. And he complained because it looks really bad on, on a uh, dark mode. So I needed to re uh, put the alpha channel back in. Now that is two clicks in preview. You open it up, click, the, you know, add the alpha channel and save. That is literally all you have to do. So I spent two days and probably eight hours trying to automate that. And in the end, I did succeed, but it, it is a one-line bash script inside of uh, Keyboard Maestro. And the next time I went to use it, I can't remember what my keystroke is to invoke it, so I did it by hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. We've all got a lot of work to do. Um, <laughs> but let's take a quick break, and we will be back with the rest of the show. Uh, I just wanted to give everybody a reminder that up until December 17th, so 10 days uh, as we record the show, 10 days from now as we record the show, um, you can give the gift of Relay uh, by getting a Relay FM membership. And right now, uh, until December 17th, the annual plans are 20% off. So uh, these discounts are valid for new subscriptions only. Uh, if you want to give the gift of Relay to a loved one, or if you yourself are somehow uh, not yet a member of the of, of our show or you know of, of other Relay shows, well, you should check it out. You can go to giverelay.com, giverelay.com, uh, and there you will find the deal for 20% off on an annual plan. So please head there. And that way you can get the overtime topic of Clockwise. All right, let us head back into the show with Dan's topic. 
All right, so this week Apple announced it was rejiggering how the App Store approaches price points. Uh, you can now have apps that are priced as low as 29 cents and as high as $10,000. Uh, in addition, you can add a different, like, it doesn't have to be a, a dot .99 cents or whatever anymore, and different prices can be set in different regions along with certain particular styles of pricing in various different regions. My question for you is, is this actually fixing a problem with the App Store, or is it kind of missing the point entirely? John, I know you have some thoughts on this. Uh, yeah, I would say that anytime they give developers some flexibility, that's a good thing. So I, you know that we have talked previously about whether or not this thing, you know sort of increases the race to the bottom. It could, I guess, but I'm not sure the difference between 99 cents and, you know, one's <laughs> whatever the lowest one is is going to be that much you're already you're already pretty close to the bottom and i think you know, maybe it's just going to bounce and come back up so, and i think it actually kind of helps you know if you have certain in-app purchases that are only you know 30 cents 50 cents something like that i mean that gives that gives developers a little bit more flexibility however this does not solve any of the real big problems of the app store. Um, it does not solve anything about, you know, like, I think anybody should be able to provide a link in order to go out and purchase something and purchase the, make the purchase on their own website instead of paying through the in-app purchase process. Uh, and I think that, per, you know, I don't know what the right percentage for Apple to take is. Um, it's not 30%, though. Uh, it should definitely be less than that. So, uh, it, I mean, those two things, I think, are, are things that they should be focused a little bit more on rather than than this. And, you know, and I think that their, their headline, the, uh, Apple always likes to talk in grandiose terms. And so their headline was like, biggest, you know, change to the App Store ever kind of thing. And that was a, a little bit over the top and and does kind of lead into the uh, the idea that they just don't quite get it or they're, or they're I mean, I'm sure they get it, but they just don't want to get it right. You know, like they they know what the problems are. They don't want to talk about the real problems is the problem. So, um, yeah, it's great. But it, I mean, it's good, but it's not it's not that great. Uh, I just created an automation to copy and paste Mulsa's answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree 100%. I think that that, that exactly that it, it does seem like a, oh, yeah, this this is here. And look at this. And this is great. But the bigger issue, <laughs> the bigger concern that folks have uh, is still there. I, I think it's missing the point. And I don't necessarily think that it's solving a problem. But what I do th think is that there are folks who do not like to spend money on apps. And as much as, uh, you know, th those of us, especially in tech, try to evangelize on how uh, spending even $4.99 on an app is not a ridiculous thing, there is still uh, a, a lot of friction that I see from you know, f folks who aren't super steeped in tech. And so in that way, I'm glad that there are more price points and that possibly uh, developers could get some money. But I don't know, I don't want these things to be deva devalued any more than they have been in the first place. It's just all very hard. It's tough. And I, I, I don't have an answer. Allison, what about you? 
the first thing I thought of is, you know, that now people are going to say, whoa, 99 cents for that? That's way too expensive. It should be 29 cents. You know, the race to the bottom is is going to be interesting. And I think it's interesting. None of us is focused on the $10,000 upper limit. But the one thing I thought was pretty cool in this was the ability to set the fee in your own currency for your app. So the, the price can then fluctuate for the other currencies. That seems really brilliant because there's some volatility going on right now that's just killing people if they're comparing it to the U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. But they also, they had to do this as part of a class action lawsuit that they settled, which means somebody did think this was a big deal and that they needed this. But I hear a lot of developer whining and I'm sorry, complaining and, you know, constructive criticism. But I've never heard them say, well, I want to have 78 different price points. So that, <laughs> that was a surprise. But, but also in that class action lawsuit that they did settle, one of them was that they had to start allowing devs to email users about pricing outside of the store. So to John's point, did that happen too? Or are they just going, hey, look over here, look over here. Here's the new pricing that we said we do and neglecting to do the other part yet? Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you're all saying. I mean, for one thing, flexibility is great. The ability to set stuff in a different currency, also good, I think. I'm a little scratching my head over some of these things. Like, yeah, I guess 29 cents is, makes sense as a price point if you're doing you know, certain in-app purchases, maybe virtual currencies, stuff like that. Uh, that's the kind of stuff I don't particularly love anyways, but you know, more flexibility there is good. I do wonder about that top end of the spectrum. I know, I think you have to get Apple's permission above a certain uh, mm-hmm. amount. But as John and I discussed on this week's episode of The Rebound, it's actually pretty hard to conceive of anything that could cost $10,000 in the App Store. <laughs> like, I don't even I was thinking like enterprise software that's like, why are you buying an app? Why are you buying an app that costs $10,000? Right. Like, I just I don't know yeah. what that is. So that to me seems like a problem. Like, it's Apple waving its hands like, oh, fine, you can't make apps expensive. $10,000. How about that? Um, but I do think it misses... If not the point, it feels deliberately sort of working around a lot of the the complaints um, that developers have had about the App Store for basically since its inception, including the amount of the cut, the ability, as John mentioned, to link to stuff outside the App Store. All that stuff is far more restrictive. So this feels like chipping away at something that was kind of a minor complaint, um, but doesn't really get at what the biggest problems are. And I think, unfortunately, still leaves Apple kind of wide open for regulation and more lawsuits uh, in terms of how it's it's you know using its power in the marketplace so i don't think we've heard the last of app store changes but believe me when i say apple is going to have to be dragged kicking and screaming to most of them (laughs) Uh, thank you hall for your thoughts on that let's go to our last topic which comes from john yeah, there were uh, more rumors of the Apple Car, the the fabled Apple Car this week. Uh, one was that it uh, is probably going to be priced under one hundred thousand dollars, so you know, probably ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Combined on the App Store, John, and ninety nine cents. <laughs> Boo! Yeah, I was going to yeah, make that joke. They're going to have to raise. <laughs> they're going to have to raise the price on the App Store in order for or for it to be sold on there. So we'll see what that what if that comes about. The other thing though is that the project really seems to have changed from their initial sort of pie in the sky idea, which was just it was almost like a room that you would walk into, sit down, tell it where to go, and everyone would just sit there and chat idly as you uh, as you were driven to your destination. Now it looks like 
it's going to be more like a regular car um, and we'll just have certain, you know, highway driving options for autonomous driving and not like real full autonomous driving. So uh, my question is that it priced at almost $100,000. Um, how many are you going to buy? <laughs> uh, I will say this. I can't wait to ride in Leo Laporte's Apple car. <laughs> um, I definitely will not be getting an Apple car. Uh, the first iteration anyway, uh, that uh, obviously way too expensive, but I will be interested to see what they create. That's for sure. I wonder where, where are they going to sell these? Will these be at Apple stores? Are they going to mm-hmm. have to redo a bunch of Apple stores? Are they going to be at a specific Apple store? Will a bunch of Apple employees have Apple car? It, yeah, I have lots of questions and very few answers. And will they just call it car? Well, they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's going to be impossible to Google for. Car. And they're like, not the car. It's just car. It's ah, just car. I'm driving around car. <laughs> hey, car, can you take me to Chuck E. Cheese? Oh. <laughs> That's a disgusting (laughs) place to eat. That is a terrible combination. (laughs) Allison, tell us your thoughts. Well, I prepaid Tesla years in advance for full self-driving three years ago. And um, the beta is pretty terrifying it is it is not good it's i like to describe it as a a, a new driver it's like a student driver who happens to also be drunk but uh, by the time this comes out i'll probably be ready to invest again and but seriously we're all getting older and the sooner we can have full self-driving and stop killing each other i i think the better so i don't understand why apple would even do a car if they're not going to give us automated driving they really need to do that they need to do it well they need to do a privacy focused and have all this intelligence and if they don't have that i don't understand why they're making a car that i mean you can make a pretty car a lot of people can i i just i mean are the door handles going to be any harder to get open than the ones on the tesla i just i just don't see what what the point is if they do that i i mean i kind of go i'm i'm with you on that sort of bottom line at why why do this it's a market that doesn't really fit with Apple's traditional um, approaches to things. It's you don't buy cars very often. They're very expensive. Um, there are things with I feel like not a huge margin on it, um, and they come with all these ancillary issues, right? Maintenance. You know, it's one thing to have to take in your iMac to fix it, but you got to take in your car like every once a year at least, right? And have somebody look at it and service it and fix your tires i don't know i mean there's all this stuff that they have to deal with then that doesn't really make sense to me um and is the experience going to be that much better as you know again talked about this elsewhere this week but i I really feel like apple would be better served uh spending some of that money to pump up mass transit i mean are we really want to encourage more single-use car driving as a country uh even if they are electric I find this whole idea very strange, and it seems to me that it's something Apple's become very fixated on as this sort of uh, unattainable goal, and I think it is indeed potentially unattainable. Um, I, I just, every once in a while when I take my step back, I can understand why the challenge, like intellectually and everything exists, like why, oh, well, can we do this? But as a product that actually comes to market, I am not convinced that Apple is the company to be doing it. So 
Um, yeah, I'm sure I will be eating my words and I'll buy five when they come out. But right now, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to get that money. Uh, John, are you good for you good for a loan or? <laughs> I am not. No. Uh, yeah, that's frankly, I mean, if it is just below $100,000, that's more than I'm going to spend on a car. So I am probably not in the market for this, this uh, machine. And given the constraints, I don't really understand why they would be building this either. And, you know, it, rumors they they very well may not do this it's it says uh, by 2026 which is hilarious to me because everyone was saying you know uh, back in the mid 2010s that they were gonna ship one by 2020 that was definitely the date it was certainly gonna happen and of course that did not happen and now it's now they're saying 2026 i'm not i would bet money it's not gonna happen by then either so we'll see um but again yeah like unless it's really going to change you know, move the needle. I don't know why they would do it. And it doesn't seem like as described, it's going to do that. Um, I guess we'll find out, but uh, it is uh, about time to, to end the episode. We've got just enough time for a bonus topic. And here is my question for you. If you could safely visit any planet, which planet would it be? Allison? Oh, I'd for sure go with Tra- Trappist 1D. I mean, how cool would it be to have sunsets with a red dwarf for a sun? And I, I choose it because it's the third rock from its sun, you know, for nostalgia's sake, and because I could vacation on Trappist 1E right next door to go swimming. <laughs> Dan? Wow. Um, uh, 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 SETI Alpha 5, but only before uh, the no. explosion of the nearby planet. No. Come on. No one wants to go there afterwards. That's terrible. But it's already populated by Khan. I mean, there's company. There's neighbors. <laughs> I uh, uh, Allison did more research into this than I did, and Dan Dan went off the rails too, too fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I was originally going to say Mars, but I think Mars is kind of boring in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go with Jupiter because there's there's just a lot going on in Jupiter. I mean, obviously, you can't stand, but it did say you did say safely, so... Um, um, I think Jupiter would be to just to like be in those windstorms would be pretty cool. Science and I disagree on Pluto not being a planet. I uh, <laughs> will always have in my heart that Pluto is a full planet. And therefore, I want to visit Pluto and give it a big hug and say, listen, I see you and I believe in you. <laughs> and then it will freeze me. Uh, but no, wait, well, I can so say pretty visit, small. So. so maybe you can actually hug it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that I'm pretty sure that's how small it is. Every time I look at a model of Pluto, it's pretty small. So that's must right. be huggable. That's right. Huggable planet. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for your answers on that. Uh, listeners, if you would like to get ad-free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week, you can become a member of Clockwise. Remember, head to giverelay.com. Uh, although here I'm going to tell you to go to relay.fm clockwise and sign up for five bucks a month or fifty dollars a year go to giverelay.com to get that uh, discount and you will help support the show in this week's overtime topic we're talking about ai art and its ethicality we have reached the end of this episode of clockwise all that is left is to thank our awesome guests allison sheridan thank you for being here today well thank you awesome micah for having me on the show it was a great jolly good time <laughs> and john Maltz, thank you so much for joining us this week is this a bad time to say that all my responses were generated by an ai <laughs> it's the perfect time. you're like three lines of pearl john we know that <laughs> all right well Micah will be back next week but until then we remind everybody out there listening watch what you say and keep watching the clock bye everybody 